If you've taken a stroll down the dairy aisle recently here in Humboldt and noticed some milk in a glass bottle, well, that is thanks to our guest today. He is a third generation dairy farmer, an incredibly nice guy, a hard worker, and he's out here hustling, trying to get his product out there and promote his family farm. He runs Ferrera and Son Dairy out of the Arcata Bottoms. And he's just a great guy. He's incredibly nice. He was a hell of a lot of fun to talk to. And I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. So I'm going to let him take it from here. Please give it up for Darren Ferreira. That's perfect. Okay. Okay. Uh, What's going on, man? So, uh, not a whole lot. Just ranching and bottling. and. How's the dairy business? Tough. Yeah? Tough, yeah. Especially in these times, you know. uh, Because of COVID. Well, just diesel prices and everything else. Gas prices in general, just insane. I mean, diesel's what? Seven seven bucks a gallon? Yeah. And our red dye for our tractors, you know, it's... uh, shoot we're paying five six dollars for our red dye what is red dye so that's our off-road fuel for our tractors okay yeah. so when you're out on the farm that's what you're yeah, using yeah yeah and uh you know in one day of running two tractors out in the pastures farming or doing whatever it's seven hundred dollars for one day for one day holy shit and i'm a small farm i'm just running two tractors you know these guys that are running four or five tractors a day you know, they're looking at a couple thousand dollars a day just in diesel. Wow. Yeah. Well, even you, that's 1400 bucks a day for your two tractors. No, no, no. That's two tractors oh, together. So, okay. Seven hundred. Yeah. So 350 per. Exactly. That's insane. Yeah. Is that your biggest in- expense running the farm? No. Oh, no. That's shit. my smallest expense. <laughs> <Is it> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Most no. people hear 700 bucks a day for something. They're like, damn. Well, and that's what they, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, farmers are rich. No, we're not rich. Just everything we've got is very expensive, and yeah, we make a lot of money, but it goes out just quickly as it comes in, and sometimes it goes out quicker than it comes in. So, what's your yeah. biggest expense running the farm? Uh, probably irrigation. Irrigation's like uh, five to seven thousand a month. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to have that. Yeah. You got Otherwise, it. you're not growing it. You just got yeah, land. Exactly. Yeah. And especially being a dairy producer, you know, you want the best quality grass that you can get and you've got to have it grow as quickly as it can so you can keep those cows out on there on that grass. And uh, yeah. So you're how many cows? Going. How many cows are you running? Uh, I'm milking about 85. Um, between everything, though, between my bread cows and my milk cows and my heifers, roughly about 150. 150. Yeah. Bread cows being... They got calves in them. Okay. Yeah. Call them dry cows. Okay. Yeah. They're dried off. They're out on pasture. They're they're on vacation. And is that kind of the usual number? I would imagine it fluctuates a little bit, but somewhere around 85? Yeah. It fluctuates because, you know, we run a bull. So uh, we'll run a bull through them and whenever they cycle, they'll get bread. So, you know, wintertime, it might be a couple more. I might be down to like milking 60 cows. And then I'll have like, say, 40 some dries. And then as springtime approaches, then those dries will start coming in. And then um, 
Actually, can we stop real quick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This isn't working. Oh, the headphones? No. It's kind of weird hearing your voice like that. It, it some is, people, yeah, some it, people can do it. Some people yeah. can just I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been trying to pull it off. I'm, I'm like, glad okay. you said something because yeah. I've had people sit through it and they're like, I was not a fan. Other people love it. Some people, it's just not. Yeah. It's yeah. not the style. Okay. So anyways, um, yeah, we'll have like 40 or 50 dry cows at a time. And then come springtime, um, they'll start coming fresh and we'll start having calves coming in and they'll get back in the herd. And so then our, my milk numbers will go back up. So it does fluctuate a mm. little bit. Yeah. And what are you doing with the calves? So the calves, I raise 17 of them every year for replacements. Into the stock. Into the stock. And then the rest of them, I give them away. Um, other farmers might take them or there's little hobby farmers and stuff like that. And they want them. It's all I'll give them to them. They raise them up. They do whatever they want. Either they raise it up for uh, meat or they'll raise it up and just have it as a pet. So, uh, do a lot of people do that? Have them oh, as yeah. pets? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of them just do it in their backyard. You know, they got like a half acre or whatever and they just want something to do. And yeah, they do that. Um, others, uh, I had one come by and they wanted two calves for a 4 H project. So, you know, some little girl was wanting to do a bucket calf or something. And so, yeah, they came and picked them up. And yeah. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, the thing is, is to raise all of the calves. We used to do that before I took over, uh, my dad had it and, um, he would raise everything. But the thing is, is it costs so much to raise each one of those calves. So, you know, to have 80, 90 calves running through the barn throughout the whole year, um, it cost me over $150 a month to feed one calf. So you take that and you times it by 80, it's a lot Adds of freaking money. Yeah. yeah. And you're taking a lot of milk out of the tank that could be going to the co-op and you could be collecting a paycheck from it. So when I took over four years ago, I stopped that and I only raised what I wanted. And then everything else, we just let it go. So now we've only got calves in the barn for five months, feeding five months for uh, with milk and silage. And then after that, they're out on pasture. And then the other seven months of the year, there's nothing in the barn to feed. All the milk goes in the tank, goes to the co-op. And now with the bottling plant, it gets bottled and uh, makes some money off of it. So so 17 calves each year, is that just because 17 on average stop so, producing milk? or No, 17, I go off of my coal rate. And right now I'm still trying to transition and get rid of all of my old cows that my dad had. I've got cows in there that are like 12, 13 years old. I mean, they've been milking for years. And, you know, when they get old, it's no different than a person. They start to break down. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they get sick, a lot of times they can't come back. They oh, won't so it's come like back a... out of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you have hip problems. You got feet problems. Uh, you know, you'll have uh, issues with them not cleaning out when they go to calve. They're... Uh, placenta and stuff like that. And so it becomes more of a headache and more of an issue. And it's better just to get rid of them and bring in some new, bring in some new blood. Yeah. So I'm trying to get to a point where my oldest cow is like seven, eight years old. So is that the average viability of a dairy cow is 12, 13 years? Depends on the size of the herd and the stress level. These bigger dairies that are down South that are running tens tens of thousands of cows, their lifespan is like five, six years. Is that just because it's such a stressful environment for the cow? Yeah. 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 You put that many cows together, it's no different than people. 
you crowd them all together, they're going to get stressed out. And the more stress you have, the shorter your lifespan is. So it's no different than with cattle. Yeah. And I can't imagine if you're running 10,000 cows, you have adequate acreage for no. what those 10,000 cows no, should be No, those cows on. never see pasture. Yeah. You know, those cattle are locked under a roof and on concrete and that is their life, you know, um, to where our area, it's like heaven because our cattle are able to graze year round. They're out in the open. They're able to enjoy the sunshine and have a good life. And they're all grass fed. Yep. All your cows. Yeah. So I'm probably one of the only dairies in Humboldt County that doesn't feed grain or alfalfa or any other byproducts. Everything that my cattle eat is straight off of my ground. Even so, as a finish? I've heard eat, that sometimes as a finish so they'll do. So finish is beef. Okay. So that's when they go to us. That's when they go to a feedlot and they get finished. Then they would work in some. So that's when they grain. get like uh, from the breweries. They get all their waste and stuff like that, and they'll get grains and they'll get alfalfas and to fatten them up and you know finish them out. So get that marbling just right before they go to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for dairy cattle, no. you don't need it. No, no, no. Does that? If you were to implement that, I would imagine that would have a negative impact on the cow. Yeah, because cattle, dairy, you're looking at for milk production. You don't want fat. The fat of the cow is the less milk production you're going to get, and it's going to be harder for them to walk around. Yeah, more strain on their body. Right, right. So that's why people will look at a dairy cow like, oh, it's skinny. No, that's just the frame of a dairy cow. When you see just a couple ribs and whatnot, that's still a healthy cow. Yeah, I've actually been told that I have fat cows. Really? Because <laughs> you can barely see their ribs, but I'm like, how do you put a cow on a diet? Yeah. Although you put a cow on a diet. Block and them from eating the grass? Yeah. What? What does and then that you look have like? no milk. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but so anyways, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you, you hear about that. I would imagine you don't have to use any, because the big thing around cows in meat production is you hear about antibiotics, antibiotics that kind of get pumped into them. Yeah, not necessarily. Is that a big misconception? It really is. It really is. I mean, you, there's preventative maintenance, and that's what we do. We do preventative maintenance. No different than vaccines and the flu shots and all that. We do the same thing for our cattle. We worm them and whatnot, and to keep them healthy. We yeah. give them minerals. So they also get... Uh, free choice minerals uh, supplement uh, blocks. So a cow will know what they are lacking more so than you and I. We'll sit there and look at her and be like, okay, well, maybe she needs this or maybe she needs that. But if you go out and you get the minerals and you leave them out there in the field, if they need it, they'll lick it. And they'll get those that they need, whether it's magnesium or phosphorus or sodium or they need uh, zinc or something. It'll be in those blocks and they'll lick it and they'll get it. So yeah. you kind of just put those out there and let the cows decide exactly. what they need. What about antibiotics specifically? Is that more maintenance on That's your more of a maintenance. You know, I mean, yeah, you're going to get a sick cow. And so you try to do the best you can as far as not shooting them up with everything under the sun. Um, yeah, because if they're sick and you're pumping them full of stuff, I would imagine that makes them it, – uh, it could have the adverse effect of – like poor quality on them. Right? Well, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that it it would it doesn't change the quality of the meat mm-hmm. whatsoever. And any of the medicines that we do give them, say it does have they some will have a withdrawal time. Say 25 days you can't slaughter that animal cuz it's still in their system. Right. Well, in 25 days it's out of their system. You can slaughter it. Still going to be the same cow, but you save that cow. 
instead of it dying. That being the key, the yeah, key exactly. point. Yeah. Exactly. What I'd always heard, and I, I've never actually fact-checked any of that, was that with those meat-producing farms is they have to pump them full of antibiotics because of all the grain that they're getting. The cows are constantly getting sick, so then they're getting these antibiotics, and then they're still getting sick, and it's just poor quality. But I would imagine that yeah. just stems from just overuse of grain, the stress of the environment that they're in. And, you know, and grain to... You know, yeah, it's great for the beef industry and for their marbling and stuff like that. But, you know, cattle were never made to take grain. They were never made to digest that grain. You know, they were made to digest grass. Yeah. And that was it. You know, grass and alfalfa. Um, Grain can be a huge issue. If you feed it too much to them, they will get a twisted gut. They will have issues. Yeah. So that's where that emphasis on grass fed really comes into play oh definitely definitely and there's a people say there's a different taste in the milk can you tell the difference i can't personally but i actually had a customer ask me one time they're like can you uh feed your cows something different why they said well we could taste the clover in the milk i'm like no shit I'm like, okay. I was like, well, sorry. I was like, yeah, they're grass That's fed. quality. Yeah. That's was... what you're getting there. <laughs> wow. How funny is that? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. How much of a game changer has the bottling plant been bringing that into your facility instead of oh, outsourcing? Huge. huge. That, that made me. It was, you know, when I did that two years ago, it was sink or swim. Um, for the farm. For the farm itself. Yeah. So, um my dad passed away in July of, uh, 18 and I'd moved home from Montana. I'd been ranching in Montana for seven years. And so I'd moved home to take over and whatnot. And after that, it was up to me. And so I don't know if you know much about Humboldt Creamery. I don't know. I have friends that have worked there, but I don't okay, know anything well, about the Well, back in workings. 08, they had to file bankruptcy. Well, so did almost every single dairy farmer that went under with them, you know, cause it was a co-op. We all had money invested into that co-op. And so when the creamery went under, all of us dairy farmers went under, um, when that happened, we had to file also. And so we came out of it in 18. Out of the bankruptcy filed in, in 08. In 18. Yeah. Wow. So, and we were with Organic Valley. We were making good money. Things were working and whatnot, but I was still learning how to run a dairy on my own. Before, I always had my dad to bounce ideas off of, and, you know, he was the boss. And now it was just up to me. So it was everything that I did, it was sink or swim. You know, I had to make this work. Um, In December of 19, Organic Valley came to us, and they said, hey, we're losing money in your county. What are we going to do? We might have to drop you guys. We don't have any more contracts. And so there was 23 of us. And so they gave us an option of a buyout. They said, either you can stick with us and ride it out and see what happens, or you can take this buyout money and go to another co-op. Well, no brainer. I'm going to take the buyout. So we took the buyout and went with uh, DFA, Dairy Farmers of America, and it's conventional. So we took a huge pay cut. I mean, it cut us more than half. Of what what, you were bringing in. Of what we were bringing in. And so at that moment, um, I said, you know what? I said, I'm building a creamery. I said, forget this. Because at that point in time, I now realize that the middleman doesn't care about us, even though they forget why they have a job. 
They have a job because of us farmers, but they don't give two shits about us. They don't care who we are. They'll drop us at a drop of a hat. If they don't see us as money-making for them, they'll drop us. It's all about that bottom line. Yeah. They want those big dairies where they can go and take a truck, three trucks to one dairy and make a profit and not come up here and where they've got to go around to six, seven dairies to get one tanker. So um, I went ahead and started planning. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what a pasteurizer was. I didn't know what a bottle filler was. I didn't even know what a plant looked like. Never seen one. Up until this point, you guys had strictly produced the milk. Strictly produced the milk. We've been on third generation. So we had been farming since the 20s and knew I knew nothing about it. But my grandpa always wanted a creamery and my dad and I had always wanted to build a creamery. And so I figured now's the time. I was like, let's do this. I said, sink or swim. I said, we can't make it off of our conventional milk price. I was like, so either we're going to sell out or we're going to build this creamery and we're going to make this work and cut out the middleman and make the money for ourselves. And so uh, everybody told me, they're like, there's no way you can build a creamery in a year. It's going to take you two years to build it. There's just no way. Well, I did it. I did it. I started planning in uh, March and by May the following year, I was in business and I had the milk in the stores. So yeah, um, had to get the equipment out of Pennsylvania from uh, Cochrane Island. So there was a uh, place over there that does bottling and they build creameries. And so they got me hooked up, got me the equipment I needed and everything, got it sent over. And I took two 40-foot storage containers, cut 16-foot holes out of them and married them together. Had a contractor come in, put a false wall in for me and do the flooring and stuff. And so, yeah, I've got my pasteurizing room. I've got a walk-in cooler, the bottle washer in my lab, all in these storage containers. So, and I figured, you know, start small because I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. And you can always expand upward. You can't downside. Exactly. Exactly. And when it's your own money, it's like, okay, you don't want to go too far because I've seen businesses do that. They're new and they're like, oh, I want the newest of all this equipment and I want to go big and da, da, da. And then they fail because they're not able to make the payments on all that stuff they just bought. So I figured, okay, let's start small and we can expand from there. And um, so, yeah, we did. And within this last year, uh, it's just exploded. It's exploded. We now have, what, 16 stores now? I just picked up Safeway last Tuesday. Oh, that's a big contract. Yeah. Yeah. So we oh, picked congratulations. Up. That's Thank cool. You. Thank you. Yeah. I've been working on that since uh, September of last year. And uh, so, yeah, we got Eureka Safeway and McKinleyville Safeway to start out with. And then they are uh, put me on probation and then they'll allow me to have the other two Safeways also in, in the county. So Damn. Yeah. What had yeah. been the holdup? Was it just finances to... Beforehand? To, yeah. To get that rolling. Because you said your grandpa had thought yeah. about it, your dad. Yeah. So... Financing and business, you know, um, back in the day, farmers didn't really have to be business oriented. They you could just work farmers. the land. Yeah. You just work the land, work your cattle and you were able to make enough money and things were cheap enough to where you could be semi wasteful in a way, but still make a profit and still make things work to nowadays. You've got to be business oriented. Now, if you would have known me 10 years ago, I was nothing like business oriented. I was a fuck off. I worked. That was all I did. That was all I did. But when 
I learned a lot in Montana from my old boss over there. He was uh, very business oriented and he was a self-made man. I mean, he literally started with nothing about 500 acre ranch. And now he's got 6,000 acres of wheat. He's got a thousand acres of alfalfa, five, 600 head of beef and just this huge machinery all paid for. And so he taught me a lot about being sufficient and making every step count, you know, whether it's work day in and day out, or it's looking years ahead of what you do today, how is that going to affect me in two, three years, stuff like that. Um, So that helped me out with that. And then my father teaching me how to run the dairy and how to take care of the cattle and take care of the land and stuff, being able to put the information from those two men into me, it's made me be able to do what I can do today. And very quickly after my father passed away, did that business side of me really kick in? Because it was, like I said, it was sink or swim. So I had to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny what can happen when the pressure's on like that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I, you know, there was times where I just wanted to quit. I'm like, there's just no way I can do this. But I've got a very supportive fiance that has done tremendous, you know, between her and my mom, uh, all three of us live on the ranch and, uh, they've been very supportive and helping me and keeping me on track and stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's been great, you know, and they always say, you know, a successful man behind every successful man is a supportive woman. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. It really is, you know, and I tell her that and she don't believe me. And I'm like, no, I'm like, it's honest, you know, you have uh, to have that support network You do to accomplish anything. You do. Cause I think if I was on my own trying to do this, I probably wouldn't have, I maybe, but I don't think I would be where I am right now. Yeah. So. And the point of those co-ops is that just kind of like a union, but for farmers where you have a little more. So it's just, or how does that it's just a place to get rid of your milk okay. because a farmer, like go back to being business. Farmers are not business. And so, you know, every farmer isn't going to go out there and try to sell their milk. So the co-op is what takes care of that. It's just that middleman of, Hey, we'll buy the milk and right. then we're going to sell we'll it. distribute it for you. But the problem is, is the farmer is always the one that gets screwed. I don't care if it's dairy. I don't care if it's produce or beef. The farmer is always the one that gets screwed because we buy everything at the same price that you do. We buy our fuel at the same price you do. We buy our grains, fertilizer, everything at top price. And then we make our product, whether it be milk or the meat, at cost. How can you make it? It's hard. And that's why there's so many struggling farmers because we don't get paid what we're actually worth. But the middleman's the one that's making all the money. It's weird that there's still middleman especially yeah. with that and the go-to one is always car salesman right because it yeah. would be so much cheaper for the consumer if it was just direct from production to... to whoever wants to buy it exactly it would save us all so much money and yet in all these different businesses there's always that middle middleman. person just trying to fucking grub whatever mm-hmm. they can take exactly and that's why things are so expensive because it has to trade through so many hands and every hand it trades into it's got to make a profit that person's got to make a profit, and that's what the middleman does. You know, they've got to make a profit because they're the one trucking it. They're the one bottling it, and they're they're the ones taking it to the stores and whatnot. Well, now I am the middleman. How much have you saved by cutting them out? I haven't cut them out completely because oh, I, don't still... bottle, I don't bottle all of my milk, but I'm also not with a co-op. I'm with a distribution center. 
Okay. So this company is called Organic West. They're out of Petaluma. And they buy my milk, and then they ship it to whoever needs it. So say Organic Valley needs milk, or Romeano needs milk, or a creamery out of Reno calls and says, hey, you know, we're short a tanker or two or something like that. We need it. It goes there. So, so you bought... Is that I, your excess that goes to them or yes. you kind of split it? It's yep. the excess. It's just excess. So I only bottle like a couple hundred gallons a week. I mean, it's still small. I make anywhere from 10 to 12,000 gallons a month. And I'm only. That's eating. a lot of milk. You say small. <laughs> that is a lot of milk. Yeah. You know, and I'm only, you know, bottling maybe seven, 800 a, a month. So it's just a fraction of what i actually have mm-hmm. and people are always asking me like oh you got to put on more cows more cows no i don't have to put on more cows i just need more sales i need more stores i need to be able to sell more milk and whatnot um and the thing is now what i'm fighting against is being able to expand i can be able i can put the creamery my upgraded creamery right next to my existing one i've got a perfect pad there but it's funding it costs millions of dollars to be able to upscale from where I'm at because I only want to build it once. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to keep building. And uh, so that's my biggest issue right now because I've got people that want to buy my milk. I, one of them is the Humboldt County School District. They came to me. Oh, that would be a sweet deal. They came and you to, keep it local. Well, that's what I'm trying to do is keep everything local. Nothing is out of this area. Um, but they came to me a month ago. And they said, hey, they said, what would you like, what would you think about bottling milk for all of the schools? And we're talking from uh, South Fork all the way up to uh, Crescent City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, you know. But where's the funding going to come from? Because I've got over a half a million dollars in equipment that I'm going to have to upgrade in order to do this. And all said and done, we're looking at over $2 million just to build this facility and actually have it running. To be able to produce what they would need. Yeah. Is that your biggest hang up right now is just how much you can bottle? Well, I can bottle quite a bit in the, what I've got right now. But um, if I want to go say double what I'm going to, what I'm doing right now, I'd have to go and build another facility. And get things automated. Right now, everything's manual. Or you guys are doing the whole process. Yeah, I do the whole process. I touch every single one of those bottles. I hand fill every single one of those bottles and cap it. And then I've got another, I've got my mom that throws the tags on. And then I've got a guy that loads them into the trailer for me. And so, yeah, I mean, everything's labor intensive. Nothing's automated. Because uh, like I said, I would try to go in as cheap as possible just to get my foot in the door and see where this would take off at. And I didn't realize that it would take off like this in less than a year. So Is it just you and your family and then that guy are the only yeah. ones working? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I manage everything, the creamery, the dairy, the land, all of that. I've got one guy that milks for me. Uh, my wife, she's a veterinarian. She's a large animal. Oh, that's vet. perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, she's a godsend. Um, so you know, she helps me out with my cattle end of the deal, and also working cattle on the weekends. You know, if I've got cattle I need to work on the weekends or something, and she's not on call, well, then she comes with me, and we go out and work cattle and stuff. Um, and then I've got a high school kid from uh, Arcata 
from Arcata High that's in the FFA uh, program that I hired. And he comes down on Mondays and Tuesdays, washes bottles, and then Wednesday we bottle. And then Thursday morning I go out and deliver. And then he comes down Thursday afternoon and unloads bottles and gets them ready for Monday again. So, but otherwise, yeah, that's it. That's it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely, it keeps us busy. It keeps Has us it always busy. been just kind of a family-run business like that? Always. Yeah. Always, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's never been anything more than that. Yeah. So if you could automate the process, you'd be able to bottle all of your milk in-house and you wouldn't need the co-op or is the idea to still well, keep the Well, I can, no. The idea is to get away completely. And just be self-sustained. Exactly, exactly. But right now, there's what, there is what is helping me stay afloat. And I'm very fortunate to have Organic West and be able to work with Jason, um, the CEO, um, and being able to work together and making this happen. You know, I, when they called me and asked me about coming on with them, I was straight up with them. I said, okay. I said, I'll come on with you. I said, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I said, I'm still building my creamery. I said, I've already bought the equipment. I've already bought the storage containers. I said, I'm in the middle of building it right now. He said, okay. He says, we don't care. He says, we don't care if we pick up a hundred gallons for me. He says, we're picking up your neighbor already. He says, no big deal. I said, okay. And so since then, you know, I let him know if I'm going to be up in my bottling side and it's going to shorten him, you know, say a couple hundred gallons or something. I give him a call and be like, hey, Jace, you're going to be short this week. Okay, not a problem. So we've kept a very tight connection with each other, but he doesn't care about getting rich. He wants to make sure that the farmers stay afloat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good approach. It is. It is. And that's the approach that they all need, but they don't because of greed. Money is a dangerous thing. powerful thing. It is. It really is, you know. And, you know, when I went into this, I didn't go into the bottling to be rich. I'm not trying to be a millionaire myself. I just want to enjoy what I do and be able to keep it going. And I've got a son that's 13 years old, and he shows a very strong interest in this. And I want to be able to hand this down to him and hand him something that's going to be able to be, be able to keep going. You know, and it's going to be able to make him a good living. Yeah, and you don't so, want to be in a stressful spot where, oh man, is today going to be the day that right. you know we default or we have to close because we just can't right. make ends meet. And you know, and that's what I watched with my dad for over thirty some years struggle. You know, I mean, it, prices were always too low and things were always too high to buy and stuff, and so we never really had a lot of money. But we had the fam, we had the family, we had the farm and stuff. So you know, that's what made us happy. But we were always struggling. And now's that time where I can pull us out of that and live a more easier life, more freer life. And so being more efficient and being able to make a little bit more money and, but also not price gouge the customers. Um, it's like, I've told many stores, I said, you know, I said, if I get to a point where I'm making enough money and I'm surviving, I'll drop the price of my milk. I said, but at this moment in time, I'm still trying to pay back what I just invested into it. And so, you know, I'm where I'm at, but I'm also still one of the cheaper milks for grass-fed, pasture-based, organic in a glass bottle. I beat my competitor. My competitor is Strauss out of Petaluma. That's your closest competitor? That is my only competitor because he's the only other one that does it. Mm. He's the only one that does it. So, you know, um, there's Blake Alexander out there with his A2 milk, and there's also uh, Ferndale A2 milk out there also. But we're all from the same community. 
and we're all just trying to make a living. But there's no comparison between their milk and my milk. Their milk is a lactose intolerant, um, so there's no sugars in it. And um, they're in plastic and they're in cartons. I'm in glass. Lactose intolerant meaning if you were lactose intolerant, you could yeah, drink it? Okay. you would drink it, yeah. So if you're lactose intolerant, instead of drinking the silk milk and the almond milk. Which is not. Almond milk supposedly isn't bad for you, but I've heard that silk milk horrible. specifically is not good for yeah. your body. But none of it's milk, though. Yeah. None of well, that's milk. they like to do that. That's the new thing with all those those fake meats. I just saw yeah. a production the other day. It was for just egg. That's what they're branding it as. Oh yeah. There's no egg in it. It's no. all plant based. Why are we calling it just egg? There's no egg. Exactly. Just not egg. Yeah. Yeah. I and don't all get you that. do is add water to it, and you have an egg. Yeah. But it's not. But it looks like one. Okay. This is what I tell people. Take a plant based beef patty. Okay. How many things you have to put in there to make it look like meat, taste like meat, and hold together like meat? And you want to eat that and you think that's healthier than what came from the freaking cow? I'm sorry, but there's no way in hell. Some of that stuff is what they put in dog food. Most of it is is incredibly toxic for your body. It's yeah. all these concentrated oils that they're adding that your body just can't, like vegetable oils and canola oils. Exactly. Yeah. But it goes back to the same thing like I told you. Cattle were not made to digest grain. We were not made to digest all that crap. But yet they think it's all great and, oh, cows won't get hurt. It's the way of life. It honestly is. And we've gotten so far away from that. It's just, it's terrible. It's weird. It's yeah. a weird time. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Have you noticed a change uh, since, I mean, you've been involved in this area for a long time. Yeah. Have you noticed a change because of that growing sentiment of people trying to pull away from meat and, and those products? Not in my group that I'm surrounded by. Because it's dairy and that's, that's still pretty dairy. safe. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm in the beef a little bit, but you know, I haven't seen a huge change in it um every once in a while you know you'll run into a vegetarian or something like that but not very often yeah um here i don't think it hits us so much but bay area la there's more bay urban areas. exactly that are so disconnected from where their food really comes from and they're listening to you know all these other uh news reps and all these other stories, whether it's off of YouTube or whatever. And, you know, they go off of that, but they'd never have a thought of their own to actually go and think and actually go do their own research to find out if what they're listening to is really true or not. They just believe it and follow. That's what they are. They're followers. You know, um, I actually, my, uh, buddy Justin out of Montana, he called me the other day and he says, you're not going to believe this. He says there was some guy on uh, TikTok and he was, what was it? It was beef. And he's, he was eating the beef patty. And he says that it was um, vegetarian to eat beef from a grass fed beef cow. Yeah. Make that make sense. Right. But the sad thing is, is how many people actually believe that? But I thought, well, if he can get people to believe that, I was like, doesn't hurt us any. I was like, that actually helps us. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, that is a problem because that's, oh, that's pretty crazy. But the yeah. real problem is people that think that meat is bad for you. 
that humans weren't meat? designed to eat meat and that that's not good for your body and yeah that's but where do you get your protein you gotta peas. have meat you eat meat and milk peas. meat and milk you know i yeah. mean it's it's what we've eaten forever and uh to pull away from that i mean it's just to me it's crazy it's why how could you even think anything else but i'm a farmer so yeah <laughs> yeah it's a weird disconnect and i think you're right i think it comes from the separation of people don't see where their food comes no, from anymore no and no. i've noticed that especially in regards to hunting mm-hmm. people will eat burgers or eat steaks from the store but if you say oh yeah i go out and i hunt and i i get my own meat then yeah you get demonized that's but it's a, the same thing bad, it's the exact same you it's just... probably a better thing because it's even more natural the yeah. food is even better for you because it doesn't there's no human intervention right. in it but you're also doing animal control well, you can't talk about that. People no. don't like. Yeah, yeah. yeah people don't yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, you're you're you know not animal uh, population. Yeah. No, I get yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah, but yeah, people hear yeah. that, and that's, that's a trigger word for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it is safer. It is safer because then you know what you're what you're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the beef that you buy in the stores has got so much water in it. You ever cooked up a patty and had it shrink like three inches from the size that you made it yeah well what's cooked that size that's what you paid for you didn't pay for that size you only paid for that and that's water that's that's causing it i didn't know that yeah they they fill it full of water and then that way they their hamburger will go further and uh so when you're paying for that poundage yeah you're paying for water a gallon of water weighs 8.6 pounds one gallon so when you're buying that 12 pounds of beef or whatever it may be, you can figure on probably at least eight pounds of that is probably water. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we hamburger all of our old cows. So that's something else that we do too is all of our old age cows that are out of milk production, we don't sell them to the butcher. We don't sell them to the auction yard. We butcher them ourselves. And sell it direct to consumer? No, we'll do it. it. We'll keep it for ourselves. We've got friends that, you know, we'll hand them out to and whatnot. And they absolutely love it. It's aged beef. It's something that this area does not have. You should look into selling that. I bet there would be a market for that. Oh, there is. Yeah. There is. But the problem is, is we've only got one place that will do USDA approved hamburger. And they really don't take that much, uh, that many customers anymore and in order to truck it out of the area to like red bluff redding or chica or whatever get it processed and then brought back here well you'd have to charge so much just to make a profit off of it people aren't going to want to buy it so do you have to get that approval rating to sell it oh really yeah yeah you can't just have some joe blow butcher butcher it for you and package it and then sell it what does that mean that usda stamp what does that entail so they inspect it they inspect the meat they make sure that it's not bruised they make sure everything checks out on the carcasses and everything before you even hamburger it yeah and there's only one place here locally that does that yeah but like i said they're not as busy as they used to be and so um yeah it's really hard to get in there is that yeah. just because because of price, or you would think they would want to take as many people as they can? Uh, more so, it just changed hands, and so they're not into it as much as 
you know, their father was or whatnot. So yeah, it's just dying off. People don't want to work nowadays. That's a big thing. You know, you, you find, you find a lot, a lot of lazy people. Um, this County alone, you know, we could be very sustainable if people would actually put in the time and the work to do it. We could have all of our own vegetables, most of our fruits, our meats, our milk, our cheese, cream, all of that stuff, all right here, and not have to worry about it getting trucked over. And we could do it cheaper here. So, I mean, right now, truckers are paying $7, $8 a mile. For, yeah, I heard you could make like $120,000 a year if you do it for Walmart or something oh, like yeah. that. I mean, you could just... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's what it costs for trucking right now is 7 to $8 a mile. So thing is, is customers haven't even seen the worst of it in the stores yet. You think it's going to, that inflation prices on oh, it's, meat and stuff, you think it's going to get worse? Well, it's got to. Yeah. Because our diesel prices aren't getting any lower. And when you look at some, some of our milk goes from here to LA. Some of it goes from here to the Bay Area. Bottled and then brought back up here. Well, by the time it goes down and brought back up here, you're looking at almost $10,000 just in trucking. Now, who's going to pay for that? The consumer. Exactly. Yeah. Who's you got to pass that, that on. You know, I was delivering milk to Myrtle Avenue Market the other day, and uh, I had seen some milk there, and I'd seen it double in price. I said, holy smokes. I said, that stuff used to be like $3 for a half a gallon. Now it's like six thirty nine. I said, he's like, yeah. He says, don't even get me started on that. He says, it's gone up like, what was it? His surcharge was like 61%. He was having to mark that milk up 30 to 40% just to make somewhat of a profit off of it. I mean, that's got to be perfect for you, though, because you, you can undercut that. Well, it is because I don't have that overhead. And also, I don't use a semi for my deliveries. I use my pickup. I've got... Yeah, that seems, that seems insanely inefficient to have to truck it down south just to bring it back up bottom. Right. But that's, you know... Uh, Humboldt Creamery is not doing us any favors because it's not locally owned. It's owned by Foster Farm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Foster Farm owns Humboldt Creamery. They don't care about our county. They don't care about the quality. All they care about is that money and the Humboldt County name across it. And a lot of people still think that milk is local. It ain't. It ain't. What do a lot of the local farmers do with their milk now? Do they go, uh, still go to... A lot of the local farmers, there's a couple that are still with Humboldt Creamery that are organic. And the organic milk, for the most part, is bottled here at Humboldt Creamery and the ice cream. But your, excuse me, your conventional milk, the rest of that, it's all shipped down south, bottled, and then brought back up. Um, the rest of the farmers, um, we got Organic West. We've got Organic Valley there that still have like five producers. Um, Romeano. Um, you know, I think that's about it. There might be one or two more, but yeah, for the most part, that's mainly who the, these dairy farmers are with. So yeah. grand scheme, looking down the road, would you want to fill that role for these local farmers of, hey, we can bottle your milk for you and keep it all? Well, and you know, the sky's the limit. Depends on how busy I want to be. Mm. I mean, yeah, at this moment in time, I have the opportunity to be the next Humboldt Creamery if that's what I want. But I don't know if I want to go that far. Yeah, that'd be a lot to take on. Oh, it's huge. It's huge, you know. But I know that I would give the farmers a more fair price because I'm a farmer myself. And I know how it is to struggle. And I wouldn't be that greedy person. Um, but like I said, I just I don't know if I want to go that far. 
Um, I think I'll probably just stick with my own ranch. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got your work cut out for you just there. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, get to a point where I can use all of my milk. Um, and when we go to build that bigger facility, we're also going to branch out and we're going to do 1% and 2% milk, ice cream. Um, we'll do butter, we'll do cheese. So we'll cover all of the main categories in the milk side of it and be able to sell all of that. So, because once you start doing 1% and 2%, you start to have a waste. What? Because you're taking the fat out of it. That's what that is. Yeah. Is it's just so, reducing the fat content of the milk. Right. Right. So you take the fat out. Well, now the fat is now becoming a waste. So what do you do with it? You make butter and cheese out of it. So, so start doing that. And then you don't have a waste. What is the process around pasteurizing milk? So pasteurizing milk is just heating it up and then cooling it down. That's all you do. And that's just to kill off the bacteria. It's to kill off the worst bacteria that a lot of people nowadays cannot handle because our immune systems have gotten so weak because we've gotten to be so clean. Everybody's all about sanitizing this and sanitizing that. Well, you take all that away from your body and your body weakens because your immune system, you're not fighting anything. So now you're not able to fight off these kind of bacterias and whatnot. So raw milk is completely out of the question, even though that's what I grew up on. I was going to say, can you sell raw milk? No. You can't sell it in the States. No. Which is interesting no. because I've heard anecdotally from people that have gone overseas to like mm -hmm. Italy and had unpasteurized oh, milk. Yeah. And they say, even if they're lactose intolerant, you can your body can process that milk because it has all those natural enzymes and everything in it that hasn't been killed off right. by heating it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it also, the reason why it's such a big no-no around here is over there, they've got, say, 10 cows that they're milking, five cows they're milking. It's very easy to be clean. Because you can uh, monitor each of those. Exactly. Ten, you can give them the time that they need. Well, it all has to play with somatic cell count. And that is the bacteria in the milk, the bacteria on the cow's udder and everything there. So when you get bigger cow, bigger dairies, it's hard to be that clean. So when you're cleaner, raw milk is a little bit safer. But because we're so big and it's hard to monitor that and have such a clean somatic cell count, it really makes it risky to sell raw milk. When did that happen? Because you used to be able to sell raw milk in the States, yeah, right? Yeah, I want to say, oh, shoot, I'm 35. I would say probably over 20 years ago, it probably stopped. And I knew one farmer that had to, he was doing it. He was selling milk right off the farm. And he sold it to his doctor. And his doctor wife got paralyzed for like two weeks off of it. Because of the milk? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So that was when all of the farmers quit doing it. Because we all did a little yeah. bit, you know. But after that, none of us did it. None of us did it. Yeah. She was paralyzed for two weeks. For two weeks off of it. Yeah, because of raw milk. Because, like I said, it goes back to that bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but pasteurized milk is the closest you can get to that raw milk. Um, I don't have a long shelf life. Because I don't ultra-pasteurize. Ultra-pasteurizing, they heat it up to 180 degrees. So they pretty much kill off all of those bacterias and then instantly chill it. But they get a longer shelf life. 
you'll see milk in the stores for like what month, month and a half of a shelf life. That's how they do that between low somatic cell counts and ultra pasteurizing. But you don't get that whole milk taste. You almost get a burnt singe to it. I would it. imagine because you're killing off everything. Right. That's just. And scorching it. Yeah. 185 is scorching milk. So what do you, what is your process? 145. Okay. So I heated up state regulations for pasteurizing milk is 145. Um, it's a little bit longer process, but you get that purity. So 145 uh, is there a duration for that? You have to cook it for yeah. I've got to cook time? it to. I got to get it up to 145, and then I've got to hold it there for a half an hour. So and then my what comes into play is cooling it down. The quicker I can cool it down, the better my shelf life will be also because between that 145 and 45 degrees, it'll start to grow that bacteria back again. So the quicker I can chill it and not let that bacteria grow back up, the longer the shelf life will be also. 45 to 145. So that 100 degree difference, difference that's yep. the bacteria growth. Yep. Yeah. So, and so in cooling it fast, you're just trying to not give that any room to Any to room grow. to grow. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that that pay, plays a big uh, key part in that. What's the shelf life difference between? On three weeks. Okay. Yeah. And most of them, they can stretch it past a month. Month, month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But it, my milk is completely different than anybody else's out there. We don't have that wholesome taste that you get from mine. You know, I mean, you can buy whole milk from the store in the plastic containers, um, but it's not 100% whole because in the state of California, you only have to have 3.5% butter fat in your milk in order to call it whole, whole milk. So they skim off, say it comes in at 5 or 5% butter fat. Well, they'll skim off those 2.5% and then they'll ship the rest of it out as whole milk and then take the rest of that and go make butter and cheese with it to where mine, I don't skim anything off of it. And my butter fat, depending on the time of year, it'll fluctuate between like a four, two to a five, five. So you're really getting that richness of that whole milk. What determines the fat content of the milk? Is that the type of cow or? Yeah, the type of cow, um, you know, jerseys are obviously they're your highest milk fat. Uh, production cows. That's why you'll see a lot of um, places that sell their milk to cheese companies have Jersey cows. Which is the black and white cow that everybody... No. Brown. Oh, that's not. No. Oh, your Jersey's What's the are black your and white cow? Holstein. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so your black and white ones are Holstein and then your brown ones are Jerseys. What kind of cows do you have? I have uh, brown Swiss, Jersey, and Holstein. Okay. So you've so got a little variety. There. A little bit of variety. Uh, they're all you know, I've got purebreds, uh, and then I've also got three-way crosses, two-way crosses. Um, so, but yeah, so I get a variety of that. I get, you know, your Holsteins are your milk yield, uh, your brown Swiss are your milk yield, and then your jerseys are your uh, butterfat. So, yeah. Do you think that that fat content in in whole milk, does that make a difference? I mean, it's all a difference. But in regards to like lactose intolerance, like can people tolerate Whole milk better than reduced fat milk? Uh, I would say your whole milk, if you are semi-lactose intolerant, your whole milk is going to be better on you than the other stuff because like your 1% and your 2%. What people don't understand is it's not just the fat that's skimmed off of it and then it's put in a bottle. When you take the, the fat out, 
you take the taste out. Because milk is, what is it? 87? 87 or 97% water. Milk is. Okay? Didn't know that. Yeah. So when you take that fat out, you're now just drinking water. But there's no flavor. So how do you get that flavor back into that milk to make it taste like milk? Well, you're adding in salts and sugars and flavors. So they actually add in more than what they took out as far as your sodiums and stuff to make it taste. They add sugar into milk? I've never looked at a milk label. I'm just realizing yeah. as we're talking about this. They yeah. add sugar into milk. They put sugar in everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why when people are like, oh, it's lactose intolerant and whatnot. I'm like, well, try my milk. See, it is high in sugar, but it's a natural sugar. You're not adding anything. I don't add anything to it. I don't take anything out of it and I don't add anything to it. That's why I say it's the closest thing to raw milk that you can get. If you like raw milk, but you can't get it and you want that taste, you buy this milk. Yeah, because it's the closest thing to it. What? What caused the reduced fat wave? Was that when people thought fat was bad for you, they started doing that? See, and that's the biggest misconception right there, is they're like, oh, whole milk will make me fat. No. What people don't understand is there's good fat and bad fat. McDonald's is going to make you fat, not whole milk. Whole milk is a good fat. And look at me. I've been drinking whole milk my entire life, and yeah, I ain't fat. So, uh, yeah, that's the biggest issue. And that's why people started going to that. And, you know, that's why the co-op started making that stuff was because people didn't want to buy whole milk because they thought they were getting fat off of it. That's not bad fat. But you've got scientists and doctors telling you otherwise. But who are they getting paid off by? It's all a political scheme. That whole fat movement is It's no different than margarine. When margarine first came out, oh, margarine's better than butter, blah, blah, blah. Well, now here's the real answer is it's not. You know, margarine is absolutely horrible for you. Clog your arteries. I mean, it's bad bad stuff. And it goes back to all those oils and shit that they're putting into your body. It's not even, it's not real butter. Yeah. It's not real butter. You can't get any healthier for your body than what is naturally grown and naturally processed. And that's, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, you're, that's what, with my milk, it's natural, nothing added to it, nothing taken out of it. It's straight from the cow to the bottle, to the store. Have you had people try to come at you and say, Hey, you should make a reduced fat milk. We don't I had milk. one person tell me that they don't drink it. Um, just because they only, uh, drink 1% or 2%. Um, I did actually have one person come at me at Eureka Naturals the other day. I'd set up a vending uh, deal over there because they had Earth Day. And so... Oh, so you had like a little kiosk. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So me and the wife set one up over there. And we had a bunch of people coming up. And then this one lady, she comes up very well addressed and whatnot. And she's like, do you know that pasteurized milk kills people? And you should be selling raw milk and you just can't be doing this and blah, blah, blah. Just started going off on me. And I've got customers coming up and saying how much they love our milk and great job and this and that. And I'm like, where did you come from? And so I uh, finally, I just sat there and nod my head. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. And then she laughed at me and she's like, I just can't believe how uneducated you are on this. And I'm like, okay. Right. I don't have the experience. No, no, none whatsoever. I'm like, yeah, okay. I was like, yeah, talk to you later. And so then one of uh, 
the uh, workers, she came over to see how things were going. And I was like, yeah, I was like besides one person, she's like, oh, she was just out in front and she was talking to the apple juice people and was giving them heck about pasteurized apple juice and stuff. I'm like, yeah. They do that? So, they pasteurize apple juice as well? Evidently. I don't know. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I don't know. I've never dealt with apple juice. I yeah. couldn't tell you. I just drink it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, otherwise, no, I mean, more than anything, I've actually had people call my cell phone because they can get get a hold of me th- uh, through my websites and stuff like that. I've got my cell on there if there's an issue. Um, I've had people call me and be like, hey, don't ever change. They're like, this is what we grew up on. Usually older people and stuff, you know, that grew up in the fifties and the seventies and had this as a, as an option. And they're like, please don't change. They're like, you brought us back to our childhood memories and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's great. I love that. Um, and you know, and bringing it into the glass bottles, my main thing was I wanted to bring it back old school. I wanted to get people back to the way things used to be to a simpler life. You know, and so, and everything tastes better in glass. No different than beer. Would you rather drink beer? Oh, glass of, bottle all the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. It just, it has a better taste and it's colder, you know? And yeah, it's a weird, almost psychosomatic feeling that you get when you crack open a glass bottle too. Mm-hmm. It just adds to the effect. Yeah. And so it's the same thing with the milk, you know? Uh, my coolers are 36, 35 degrees. And when you crack that open, I mean, it's just, it's soothing. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that you do glass. I'm, I've been digging into the whole plastic and microplastic thing, right? And that is just oh, a scary can of worms. It is once you start getting into all the plastics that are in people's blood and mm-hmm. how toxic that is, and yeah. the effect it's having on people's bodies. Right. So hearing that you went to glass bottles, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and they're returnable and reusable. Oh, is that people bring them back to you? Well, <laughs> they're supposed in to. In theory. <laughs> In theory, In a perfect people, world, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've got over. That's a I, cool idea. That's like the old milkman style, where you, you'd bring your milk and you put your glass exactly. bottles back out. And that's what I was bringing it back to was that way. Um, I've got probably over seven thousand, eight thousand half gallon bottles out, and probably over a couple thousand quart bottles out that I've never seen. Yeah, and I need people to start to jump on that bandwagon of returning them because they get charged for them. They get charged $2 for every bottle that they buy. And if they don't return them, then they got to buy that bottle again. But thing is, if they do return them, they return two bottles. All they have to do is buy the milk. They don't buy the bottle again. Oh, how does that work? They have, you have like a refill station at? No. So when I deliver the milk every Thursday, I pick up all the returns and then I take them home, I wash them, sanitize them, and then refill them and bring them back. So it's all returnable. It's all reusable. There's no waste. No waste whatsoever. But the way it works in the stores is I charge the store for the bottle. They charge the customer for the bottle. If that customer brings that bottle back and, and interchanges them and exchange – or not interchange, but exchanges the bottle – well, then that next bottle, they don't have to pay for. They oh, don't... so then the store doesn't charge them that, that fee for Right, the exactly. Oh, that's because a cool they idea. brought their bottle back. So then all you're doing is buying your milk. That's it. And you're saving money. Everybody's exactly. saving money. Exactly. You're saving money. You're saving the environment by not having all that plastic and garbage and stuff like that. And so, yeah. And that was one of the reasons why the Humboldt County School District had came to me because 
they want to get rid of waste. They want to be green. They want to be organic. So they came to me with wanting to do glass. Yeah. That's a cool idea. I would imagine that you you probably got some pushback initially with people saying, hey, man, you should go plastic. Keep your overhead a little bit lower. Um, No. I did have a couple people ask me why I didn't go to cartons or plastic and whatnot. And I strictly just told them exactly what I've just told you. I was like, no. I was like, I don't want that. I was like, this is what I want to do. And this is how I, what I stand for and whatnot. And I was like, I'm not changing it, you know? Um, but I'm glad, you know, it, it's worked out good. Yeah. Would the other way be cheaper? Probably, probably be a lot cheaper, but it wouldn't taste as good. You know, you drink milk out of a cart and you drink milk out of a glass or yeah, out of a glass jug. It's completely different, completely different. Cause that carton, it gives off a, uh, taste just the carton itself and so that and plastic yeah so, the idea that it's not leaching into your food is exactly is insane exactly yeah yeah and the glass is just it's pure had you guys so, always done glass or that was well i just I started you last just year started, yeah bottling yeah, so never yeah so yeah but before no. that to that so like when you source it out to a co-op you probably don't have any control with what that gets bottled into do you do they use As, glass Oh, as far as like going to a co-op? And yeah, so when you it send out? your milk out and it yeah, just goes into one of those containers. We and... have no control, but the co-op does. Mm-hmm. The co-ops have all the control. If they want to switch over to glass, they'll switch over to glass. But they don't want to because of overhead. Yeah. And yeah, sustainability-wise, though, that seems like, obviously, that's the best It's the way to go. Yeah. It is the way to go, but it's more work. It is way more work because you've got to now keep track of those bottles and now you're going to have to wash them, and it's a whole nother thing that the creameries would have to do, and they don't want to. It's easier, and it goes back to wanting to work and laziness. It's easier to buy the cardboard and fill it up and not have to worry about it again. It's somebody else's issue. You made your money off of your milk, and that's it. Yeah. So where did you get the funding to open the bottling plant that you currently have? Did you just save up? I, between my dad passing away and what I had, and we had some grant money between those three things, we use that. Yeah. And it would be, you said like $2 million to try to upgrade it to where you need to it to upgrade be? it. It would be 2 million. That's a lot of money. It is. It is, you know, and I wasn't expecting to be upgrading this soon. I figured like five, six years from then, but as much is attention that it's drawn as many people that I've had last night, I had somebody email me, Hey, we're starting up a restaurant and we want to sell your milk in our restaurant, you know? So it's stuff like that. Um, I'm starting to get more and more people interested in it. Uh, it's going to grow and I'm going to have to do this a lot sooner. But like I said, the fun is trying to find the funding because trying to take a loan out for $2 million. It's tough. You're going to be paying so much in interest. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be paying that for almost the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah, and especially getting out from what happened in 08. I mean, you do not want you. Don't no, want I don't to, want to do that again. Yeah, you don't want to walk back into no. that situation. No, exactly. When that happened, was that did that have anything to do with the financial crash that happened in 08? That affected you guys? It put a uh, definitely put a big hit on us with all of it together. Yeah, mm-hmm. which yeah. is the culmination of all those things. Yeah, going down. well. Humble Creamery, what was going on there with the CEO was he flooded the organic market. Everything was going big time on the organic, and he wanted to be top dog. 
So he got all the farmers to go organic. We had built a whole new milking facility. I mean, we spent probably over a quarter million dollars building a new milking facility to be grade A. There's grade A barns and grade B barns. And back then, if you wanted to be organic, you had to be grade A. And we were promised to get paid all this money and it was going to work out. Well, he shortened the conventional milk side. So farmers get paid on 100 weight. Okay, so every 100 pounds, which is like 10 gallons, we get paid, say, $28, $32, okay? You can't take organic milk at, say, $32 and sell it to the conventional side at $9. It doesn't pay out. You can't sell that kind of milk and drop it down and sell it to the conventional side at $9. So he had been doing that for probably over a year or two, and it finally caught up to him. And so Premier had to go bankrupt. We were losing so much Because you guys were out for all that you had invested as well. Oh, yeah. 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 So there was dairies that went out of business that just lost everything. And then there was others of us that had to file bankruptcy and just keep on going. So, and try to pull through it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, that's what you hear in reference to farms, right? Is the struggling farm. Oh, and it's that's always. that's just the staple. It is. It's always struggling because, like I say, we're not paying, we're not getting paid what we're worth. We're always getting screwed. But it's because... We have a middleman that doesn't care about us. And I don't care, like I said, I don't care if it's dairy, produce, or beef. It's always the middleman making the money. And the close, the sooner you can realize that and pull away from that and get out on your own and do like what I'm doing, the better off you are. Is the problem there that, like you said, most farmers aren't business savvy or is it the the funding that you would need up front to try funding, to make yourself yeah, sustainable in that way? Yeah, you know, I know... Quite a few smart business beef ranchers, um, but you know it's also they've got a big herd um, financing to do it and being able to tackle it. Um, you know, at their age, they're anywhere from their sixties to eighties. They don't want to tackle something like that. They've done their time, you know. Um, but there's newer generations that don't want to work. They don't want the business because they've seen it struggle, but they also don't want to think outside of the box at how they can make it better. And it's jumping out of your comfort zone. Me building this creamery was definitely out of my comfort zone. Cause like I said, I went into it knowing nothing. And it was it in this last year, it's just been learn as you go. So, um, yeah, as far as them, not, you know, I'd look at it as these beef ranchers could get together and build their own co-op and have their own butcher, their own butchering site. And, sell their own meat and one of them does uh humboldt grass fed you know they've been one of them to do it themselves but they're by themselves you know i think they might take on a couple customers a couple other beef ranchers that sell to them and whatnot organic um but that's it so but there could be a lot more of it there's room for it and there's demand for it oh definitely especially organic and grass fed up here yeah that's it's huge it's huge yeah yeah, I mean, what's our population here in Humboldt County? Probably a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, in the county? Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, we've got plenty of meat here to feed everybody and push those outsiders out. Like I said, a lot of the grocery stores could be filled just by our local products and we could sustain it. And it would make our county that much richer. And that's the thing about keeping local. You know, a lot of people think, oh, keeping local, yeah, 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 whatever. But in all honesty, 
it's what will keep this county thriving because just like last year alone, building the creamery, bought a new truck, bought a new tractor. Um, you know, I was looking at over $500,000 that I spent just within this county. Well, that helps the county because that all circulates. I didn't buy stuff outside of the area. I keep everything as local as possible. Um, and the more support that I get from people buying my milk is the more support I can give this county by being able to buy new stuff. Yeah, so, you hear that support local business, but that doesn't seem to extend in sentiment to farms. Right. Yeah. They don't think that. They think, you know, oh, uh, you know, local mom, pa, uh, gas diner, station or gas diner. Station. Yeah, whatever. But no, you're local farmers. Because when things get tough, we're the ones that spend the most money in these counties is us. Because farmers are electricians, we're plumbers, we're mechanics, we're veterinarians, we're, you know, we till the grounds and everything. We're all of those things. Well, we shop at all of those stores. You know, one day I might be at Tractor Supply or I might be at Daisy's or Napa. Or one day I might be down in Fortuna at, um, um, oh shoot, what's that plumbing place down there? Um, Wyckoff's, you know, buying plumbing parts. Uh, you know, we spread it throughout the whole county and we're always buying things because we're always going. We're always active. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those, the more they can support us as local farmers, the more, you can the more we can support the county and support them ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, we're not rich, but we do have money to be able to do those kinds of things. So, yeah. Yeah, I've had to start recently shopping at Cash and Carry out on mm -hmm. 101. Yeah. Mainly because I found that their, the quality of their beef and especially i've gotten into lamb through mm -hmm. ground lamb mm -hmm. it just seems higher than than winco and even safeway and stuff right yeah and those are all foods that are out of the area mm -hmm. they're not local and i believe cash and carry is through humboldt grass fed i'm gonna have to reach out to them i didn't know that yeah i'm pretty sure that's humboldt grass fed and if it is well then you're getting it right here yeah that is which very is local. that would be ideal because then you know exactly where your food's coming from exactly yeah. and you're supporting local farmers yeah. Was it's, it harder trying to get that bottling plant up and running because of COVID? Did that no, play? No. No, actually, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Uh, the equipment was about 15, 16 weeks out. Um, but I honestly think I couldn't have started it at a better time. Really? Yeah. Because at that time, people were questioning where their food was coming from, mainly the beef. You know, was it from the USA or was it from China or was it from, you know, somewhere else? Um, they wanted to know where their product was coming from and they wanted local. And so when this product came out and more and more people started to find out about it, they fell in love with it. And now they know, you know, I'm like, I tell customers all the time. I'm like, I'm literally out your back door. I'm two miles from you and you can't get it any fresher than this. The milk that I batch on Wednesday comes from the cows Wednesday morning milking. So Wednesday Yeah, it's not morning, sitting on a shelf for no, two weeks. No, I mean, is by the time it goes from pasteurized to bottle to in the store, that milk is less than 24 hours old. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, but it doesn't get any fresher than that. 
And now I'm the only one that can do that because I'm right here and my milk isn't getting trucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it's, literally, yeah. It's not having to go down south and then come back, back up. up. Exactly. You know, milk that goes out of the area and gets bottled and then brought back up. It could be a week old by the time you see it on a shelf. To me, that's not fresh. Yeah. To me, I don't think just, to anybody that's fresh. That's no, pretty... no. I mean, being a week old is like, eh, yeah. Especially was... for milk. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, my milk literally goes from my 2,000 gallon bulk tank, travels 20 feet over to my creamery. I put my creamery 10 feet away from my milking parlor. And so it travels through a stainless steel pipe, gets pumped over to my pasteurizer, gets pasteurized, and then it travels about uh, eight feet through another pipe into my bottle filler. That's it. Doesn't get much closer than that. No, no. I mean, it literally doesn't unless you put the bottle right under the cow. Yeah. I mean, it don't get any better than that. So, yeah. But it's been an honor to be able to offer this to people. I love it. You know, I love it's seeing... It's got to be a rewarding feeling It is. That. It really is. You know, to be able to see my product in the stores and people come up, customers come up to me and tell me, you know, great job and love your product and everything. That's very rewarding, you know, and it makes it worth it. And it's like I said, I'm not in it for the money. I just want to be able to continue doing what I'm doing because me in an office job or somewhere else... Way worse. I couldn't do no it. No comparison. I couldn't do it. I've been ranching my whole life. I couldn't do anything else. So, yeah, no, I'm very passionate and uh, take a lot of pride in what I do, whether it's bottling or ranching or whatever. I try to do the best I can. What so. took you out to Montana to work on that ranch? <laughs> That's another whole story. <laughs> so I was married uh, back in 2009. Um, and uh, so that was when the bankruptcy happened. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't enough money to be sustained on the ranch for two families. And your family and your right, parents. Okay. Right. Our ranch was just too small and just, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. Um, so my ex-wife had gotten the idea, you know, Hey, let's go explore. And in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, you know, for a couple of years, you know, maybe go try something else, move somewhere else, ranch for a little bit and then come back home. Because since first grade, you know how they ask you what you want to be when you grow up? I had always been that dairy. If you read every single letter from first grade to senior year high school, that dairy was in there. So I'd always had it planned that that was my dream to go do. So I never had any of intentions of staying gone very long. Um, So moved to Montana in 2011 in February. And got on this big ranch, 22,000 acres. And it was a hunting ranch. It was farming and all kinds of stuff. Um, The owner's son was a uh, veteran, nice guy. And he was probably, he was 35. He was 35, I was 25. And um, so worked there for a little bit. They hired me sight unseen, but they hired me for farming. And... uh, the father, he was a hairdresser, had a lot of money. They'd sold their farm up in, um, oh, uh, Flathead Lake area, which is like where all the movie stars and stuff, they have their house at. Is that in Montana? In Montana, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's big uh, uh, tourist area. 
So anyways, they had sold their ranch up there and then they had bought this ranch and win it, which is like out in the middle of BFE. There's, and he was a hairdresser? He was a hairdresser. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they had money to spend. They were wannabe farmers. Mm -hmm. At the time, I did not know that, right? So I go out there. They give me this beautiful two-story, three-bedroom cabin with a garage. Sits down in this, what they call coolies. So hills on both sides of it with a river running through it. Oh, just pristine. It, oh, just no neighbors. I mean, my closest neighbor was the other hired hand. He was like a mile, mile and a half down the road on the other side of the hill. And every morning you'd wake up, there'd be like a hundred deer just walking through your through your front yard and oh. stuff. It was great. Yeah. I loved it. Loved it. Um, and so, yeah, I took that on and started farming with them and whatnot. Um, and then it was probably about October or so. I've been watching this place this whole time. And, you know, I've been in the ranching business long enough to know when you're being wasteful. And I could see the writing on the wall. I'm like, there's a lot of money going out, but there ain't very much going in. And uh, we used to have guys that would pay, like we had a hunting lodge. And so we'd have guys come out and pay ten to $15,000 just to go oh, kill. Oh, you can make an insane amount of yeah, money doing that. just to lodges. go kill a trophy buck, Yeah, right? But it wasn't every weekend. It wasn't all the time. It was just here and there. Um, we even had a uh, half owner of the Dolphins team. He came out to go shooting. Oh, no shit. Yeah, so I got to meet him. That was pretty cool. And then uh, Browning and Winchester, they came out. They had guns and bullets that hadn't even hit the market yet, and they had brought them out to our place to try them all out. So they even let us try out the, like their, uh, what is it, the 22 uh, Hornet bullet? Yeah. When that first came out. We oh, got to, no shit. We got to try those out before they even hit the market. Oh, man, what an experience. Yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Um, so, but like I said, I could see the writing on the wall. And so I started looking around for another job. Because they were bleeding cash. They were bleeding cash, yeah. Yeah. And I told the other uh, hired hand, his name was Smokey. He was from Vegas. He was a truck driver. And his wife was the owner's uh, pretty much maid. Did his laundry, did his dishes, took care of the kid, mm -hmm. stuff like that, right? Um, kind of a shady deal. Anyways, uh, he's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, they got money. They got money. Finally found me another job in Lewistown. And about two years later, year and a half, that place went for sale. Yeah. And the neighboring rancher bought the whole place. Yeah. So, like I said, I could see it on the wall and uh, no one else wanted to believe me. But I was like, no, nah. I was like, there's too much money going out. I was like, there ain't, there ain't making that much money off of this stuff. Yeah, it sounds like wasted potential. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean, it had a lot of potential. You could have made a lot of money off of that place. I mean, they had all the irrigation they could have ever wanted, all the land. Even just hunting. Yeah. That's, I mean, you can make a great living just being a hunting guide and providing that service. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, then I'm. we moved to uh, Lewistown. And still in Montana. Still in Montana. So it's about, it was about 40 miles west. So we got out of the sagebrush desert area and we got more into the woods. So it was, Lewistown is dead central. And so it's pretty much where the sage and the woods meet each other. So you got a little bit of everything. You got your okay. rolling hills and stuff like that. Um, and then that's when I met my uh, old boss, Kurt. And so uh, 
started working for him. Wife cheated on me like three times or something like that. So left that situation. Probably. Yeah. Good, good call. Deal. Good, good call. call. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Something tells yeah. me you weren't missing out. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. So yeah, I got a divorce and, uh, but stayed there for, uh, for my boy and everything. And, uh, then when I got the call that dad had cancer in 18 or no, it was in November of, uh, 17, um, you know, and that if I wanted the ranch, I need to come home because dad wasn't able to take care of it anymore. So, uh, made an emergency flight home, uh, look things over, see if it was worth me leaving because what I had in Montana was my boss wanted me to take over with his son. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like family to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd been with them for as long as I had been and we her, his son and I basically became brothers. Um, so yeah, if I wouldn't have came home, I would have been partnerships over there and it would have been me and him running it together. So came home and I took it very seriously on, you know, what my options were and stuff. Um, but dairy was, it's in my blood. I was never a beef rancher. Never. It just never intrigued me, you know? Um, so anyways, went back to Montana and uh, gave them my final decision and whatnot. And they were all heartbroken of it, but they completely understood. And he always told me, he says, well, he says, if it ever fails, he says, you've got your work here. He says, you walk in like you never left. And I appreciated that. And so I did stay with him through calving though, because I didn't want to leave him high and dry. And we calve from February to March. So I stayed through, or not, uh, April. So I stayed with him through uh, calving. And then uh, April 13th, I came home. I was going through Washington, called my dad, and he was admitted into the hospital. So as soon as I came home, I hit the ground running. And in the last four years, I haven't stopped. I've just been pushing and pushing and pushing just to make things work and progress. Was it hard adjusting back to the dairy business, especially not having your dad there? Is that no, not having dad there? Yes, very much so. But adjusting just back to the dairy, not so much because whenever I came home, I worked. And you've been doing it for so long at that point. Yeah, when I would come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I didn't just sit around. No, I was out there working with dad, so it wasn't too much of an adjustment, but it. Still, yeah. And then when dad passed away, that was huge. I was like, okay, I just lost my best friend. Now what do I do? Yeah. Was it hard making that decision to come back where you're working on this bigger ranch and doing these other things? I mean, it sounds like you were pretty hard set on doing the dairy, but. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why it wasn't such a hard thing. Um, I wanted to go back. You know, like I said before, when I moved over that way... It wasn't because you wanted to go do something else. No, and it was never my plan to stay there very long. Um, But if it was my only option, yeah, I would have done it. Was it what I really wanted? Was it my dreams? No. No. So, um, but this is. You know, this is what I'm passionate about. This, This was my dream to always be able to run our family dairy and keep it a legacy, keep it going. And I've got it. But... I'm going to fight tooth and nail to keep it afloat. I'm not just going to give up and lie down and let somebody take it from me. So, and that's why I fight so hard for it. And that's why I built the creamery was to keep it sustainable. And look at where you are now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hard work pays off. People 
underestimate the value and the bond that you can build through hard work. Yes. Like that, when you're busting your ass every day with the people around you and you're all going through that, that's... Yeah. And that's why I had so many offers. Um, You know, I've had offers, good offers throughout my entire life, but it's because my work ethic that's paid off. Um, You know, my old boss, he's had many guys work for him and he never offered them what he offered me. Yeah, because that's a big deal to offer somebody, Huge. especially. I'm guessing that was their family ranch. They that's their had that. family yeah. ranch. So to offer an outsider, someone who just came in, mm-hmm. and say, you know what? Yeah, take- you could you could take a partnership in this. Right. That's a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, it does pay off. It does pay off. And for a while there, though, you know, I'm like, is it ever gonna pay off? I'm like, I work, 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 work. I was like, but what do I have to show for it? You know, and it does. It finally did. I had to wait 35 years, but it finally paid off. I think it's a, I think it's a long-term investment like that, though. Hard work, you can, you can make a lot of money in the short term by screwing over people and half-assing stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's that long-term work ethic mm-hmm. that, that really, really pays off. Pays off and allows people to see your character, exactly. I think, which is almost more important than a payoff. Oh, it very much is. Yeah. You know, just being a good person. You know, um, and that's where me and my wife were very much the same. Uh, I'm always willing to help somebody that is willing to help themselves. It's hard to help somebody when they don't want to help themselves. Yeah. You lose interest. But when somebody's down on their luck or, you know, whatever, and they need a helping hand and you're able to lend it, do it. And don't ask for anything in return. Just do it out of the kindness of your heart. Because... Karma is real and it will repay you. You don't know when, but when you least expect it, you will get that return back. Um, You know, it's especially with the ranch and community, I'm always there to lend a hand. Um, With my wife being a veterinarian, uh, we're always getting calls. And what's funny is the ranchers have both our numbers. So if there's a cow that needs a calf pulled, they're calling one of us. and there's ranchers that'll call me and I'll go out and I'll pull their calves. They're like, well, what do we owe you? And nothing. So don't worry about it. I said, one day I might need you. I said, just don't forget about it. Okay, not a problem. That's it. But I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I like to help people. And uh, it's rewarding in a way to know that you helped somebody. And if it wasn't for you, you know, that cow might have died. Because if that calf wouldn't have came out of it, or it might have cost that owner, say, $700 to pay somebody to come out and pull that calf for them. That they might not have had. Exactly. And you just did it for free. And that $700 might have just been their tractor payment, or it might have been to finish off their their land tax, something like that, you know? So, yeah. Do you think that farming is the last – sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no, you're fine. Do you think that farming is the last holdout for that, that camaraderie? Because you used to hear that before my time. You used to hear that about neighbors, that neighbors would help each other and look out for each other. And it seems mm-hmm. like that's kind of. Yeah. Farming is the kind last. of gone away. Yeah. yeah. But you still hear that with farming. That, you do. That brotherhood of, hey, we're all in this together. We're going to look out for each other. I think I've brought it back a little bit because it had gotten away from that because over time of being neighbors and farmers knowing each other somewhere down the road something bad's happened and so they have bad blood between each other 
and then they won't ever talk to each other again. And then they won't ever work together, nothing like that, right? Excuse me. When I came home and I came into the business, I had no bad blood between anybody. And I try not to. I try to be happy with everybody. You know, everybody's got their own way of living. And as long as it doesn't affect me and their bad choices, I don't care. It's your life. You do whatever you want. I'm not going to judge you and look at you any differently the way you treat me. If you treat me good, I'm going to treat you good, you know? Um, so yeah, there's farmers that I will help out and, but you don't talk about them to one or the other because they've got beef between each other, you know? And there is that. Um, but and you're just like, Hey, I'm Switzerland. I'm just here. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, you know, until someone does me wrong, I'm fine. I don't have any bad blood between any of them. That's the person you want to be. Exactly. Exactly. You Life's know? happier that way. It, it less is. Less stress. Well, less it's bullshit. funny because people are like, you're always so happy-go-lucky. I was like, why not? I was like, you know, when I was younger, I would always get picked on in high school and stuff because I was the farm boy. I never had any rancher kids to go to school with, so I was always the outcast. And I was an angry kid when I was younger. But as I got older and got away from that – um, and started being more so true to myself, started to be happier. And then I'm always happy. You know, yeah, I got my bad days and I can get pissed off and whatnot. But for the most part, I'm always a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Even in bad situations, I'll still look at the positive side of it. Like, well, you know, it could be worse. You know, at least it's only this and it's not that, you know, and always think that somebody could have it worse than you. You know, it's not always bad. And the bad doesn't last very long. You know, it's only bad for that day or maybe that week or whatever, but it'll get better. So that's just, a good mindset to have. It is. A lot of people struggle with that. Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, a lot of people are negative nowadays. And it's like, why? It's like, for why no stress? Negative and do nothing to change their circumstances. Exactly. That's what kills me. And they that's, wait for somebody else to change it. It's like. Yeah. Which never comes. No. Nobody ever changes your circumstance. No, you can only change it yourself. You know, and I see it and I look at a lot of relationships. Um you know, and they're not happy or they'll jump from one relationship to the other. I'm like, are you even happy with yourself? Why do you try to find another person to make you happy? I'm like, that's not going to happen. I was like, you cannot be happy with somebody or love somebody until you're happy with yourself and you can love yourself for who you are. Like a lot of people need to fix their themselves first before they jump into relationships. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy how people are nowadays. Well, it's easier rather than look at that void and figure out the work that you need to do on yourself. It's easier to just bring somebody in and try to fix it for you. Yeah. Or even just use them as a Mm bandaid and, or look at their dysfunction and say, oh, well, they're worse off than me and try to feed off. Yeah. They need me more than I need them. And then you just, you're not addressing the real problem there. No. No, but it goes back to mindset, laziness, just, I mean, yeah, no one wants to fix anything. They just want to put a Band-Aid on it and continue on with life, but then they're always miserable. And for me, no, I, I fixed myself, but I also lived by myself for over three and a half years. Do you think that that work ethic and where you're no stranger to hard work, do you think that that kind of helped? Oh yeah, get you most there? definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. No, I've never been afraid of work. I've always been the one to jump in. I never 
and the one to wait for somebody to ask me, no, I'll jump in and get the work done and whatnot, whether they like it or not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that was a huge uh, part of it was for me to have a strong mindset was having a strong work ethic and being able to take it from my hands to my brain and be able to use that mindset. And, you know, it's just telling yourself, you know, it's your brain is a very powerful machine. You can make yourself sick by thinking you're sick. And so I mean, that's a if, real thing. And it really is. Yeah, it really is. If you have a negative outtake and you think you're sick and you're like, oh, I got this or I got that. Your body will make that happen by your mindset and your brain. And it it's crazy. But if you can do that, you can change your attitude. And you can change your outlook on things. Always got to look at the positive thing. Look at the glass half em- half full, not half empty. You know? So. That mindset. And I don't know because I'm, I'm only 24. So I don't have any experience really to say this but i'm going to because okay. it's a podcast but i feel like i don't know if people had a different mindset back in the day but it definitely seems that now mm-hmm. it's that inclination towards negativity and poor me and my life sucks and again back to that lack of i don't know if it's discipline or work ethic but a lack of a desire to change those circumstances Parents nowadays are trying to make it easier for their kids. They want to give, give, give. And then when they turn 18, those kids don't have any of the give, and then they want to live off the government because the government gives, and they don't know how to work. Um, You know, between that and um, the whole mindset has a lot to do with social media and not people. People don't think anymore. And, and when they do, it's a group thing. It's a group thing. It's never on their own of what they think for themselves. And when you've got, you know, people on social media or whatever that are, you know, you should be mad at this and be mad at that and, you know, hate this and whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what's been the big issue is there's so many sheep in the world now. Uh, no one wants to think for themselves, you know. And so I think that. That and I was in San Francisco at the airport picking up my son. And we're driving through there. And I'm looking at all these houses, all these people, all this traffic. And I told my wife, I said, no wonder why they're so pissed off. How would you like to freaking sleep on top of each other in these freaking houses and loud noises all the time and smog and all this crap? I was like, I'd be pissed off too. So some of it has to do with that too, I think, in a way. Oh, absolutely. And then you and, walk down the street and you see a homeless person taking a shit on the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean you everywhere everywhere you turn is negativity and it pisses you off. So yeah, I mean, I can see that. Yeah. Uh so I mean I think some of that does play into that also, because I would hate to live there. Yeah. I hate I hate going anywhere south of Ukiah. I hate cities, I hate driving through them. Uh, yeah, I'd rather be up here. Rural areas. That's me. Yeah, especially with traffic. Traffic's a killer. Oh, oh yeah. Pandemic was the best thing because There's I... nobody around. There's <laughs> nobody around. I loved it. I was able to get from Arcata to Fernbridge Tractor, John Deere, and back in less than an hour. Yeah, you're like, we need, to, we need to keep this lockdown right. going. This needs to be a news. I think at least a couple times a week we yeah. just make this normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And uh, yeah, but there's been a lot more people up here. 
but it's people because well, it's it's it has that desire for people that want to get away from it, the city that want to get away from the, that the problem is is you now we've lost it a long time ago but we've lost that rural community of everybody knowing each other and everybody helping each other out because we've had so many outsiders that are not humble grown come in here and try to change you yeah, know. it's a weird balance you have to you have to maintain in a city and in a county where you want to bring in new blood, right? And you want to bring in tourists and you mm. want the city to grow. Right. But at what point does that turn? And you right. say, okay, we didn't we don't want to become the next San Francisco. Exactly. We don't want to become the next this. Exactly. And I'm afraid that that's what's going to end up happening is we are going to become the next mini San Francisco. Which we definitely sucks. have the potential. Oh, I mean, Arcata, Arcata gets a little dicey up there. Yeah, just a little, <laughs> gets a little yeah. dicey. Every time I go through Arcata, I'm like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> it starts bleeding over. Yeah. We're going to have a problem. And with, yeah. I'm excited for those new projects that are coming to the area, like the wind farm, the fish farm. Mm-hmm. So I think those will be good and bring in... Bring more in, revenue. Yeah, yeah, more revenue and mm-hmm. hopefully boost up the economy. But... right. It is in the back of my mind, like, okay, at what point does this start to get, Yeah, you know, and maybe we have already crossed that. Maybe. I, we've we've already crossed it. I mean, you know, and it's, the thing is, too, is we want more local food, but where does the housing go? The housing takes away our agriculture land, and then they want us to grow more on less, but they don't want us to use fertilizer. They want us to go all natural. You're making it harder and harder and harder on us ranchers to be able to feed you when you te- keep taking away our land. It's like I told one guy, I said, you know, I said, if I had the freaking money, I'd buy a subdivision, I'd tear every single house down, and I'd put it back into farmland just because. It's crazy, you know? Yeah, that's a weird balance too, right? It really is. Because you need the farmland. You got to have the farmland. You got to have food, otherwise yeah. we're not sustaining exactly. anybody. Exactly. But that is where we've lost that separation of where people people don't get it. They're like, oh, I'm going to build a house here. Okay, well, what was in that field before? You know, was it beef? Was it dairy? Was it a vegetable farm? You just took away part of that guy's income because now he's got five less acres. That could have fed a couple cows. And now he had to sell them off because, you know, that's – you're going to build a house there now. What do you make of those new, I don't know how new it is actually, but they're doing, I think it's in New York, somewhere around New York mm-hmm. city where they're doing like aquaponics. They're growing food in these buildings that are like five stories tall. And it's just, as far as plants. Yeah. Okay. Have you heard anything about that? Oh, you know, they're trying to do it with cattle. Do, how would that <laughs> settle so in a it's building? Like a, no, they're trying to grow grass for the cattle. and mm. In one of those buildings. Yeah, in like one of those buildings and whatever. Um, it's supposed to grow, you know, three times as fast and you just throw it out in the field and let them eat it and whatnot. It's what it's coming to because they're taking more and more land away. If they didn't take so much land away, we wouldn't have an issue. I think cities should stay within the cities and leave our rural areas alone and just let us farmers be farmers and feed you, you know? Oh. What's the breakdown for a cow? How many acres do you need? It depends on where you're at. 
Okay, what about here or where here, you're at? Where I'm at on Arcata Bottoms, it's one cow per acre. Okay. Uh, See, that's a big. That's a. Oh yeah. That's like a lot of land, though. You would need, right? No. I mean, not for you. Where I guess if you can keep it, if you're not large, but if you get to five thousand cows that's five thousand acres yeah exactly and that's if you're grazing them mm-hmm. but that's why you don't see the big dairies up here though biggest dairy up here is i don't know maybe two thousand or something like that at the most um but that's yeah you don't see big dairies up here now if you go into the hills it's probably depending on what hills you go to um the more desert it gets you know the more drier like uh uh, head out towards Bridgeville and whatnot, you're probably looking at five, six acres or so, maybe per cow, maybe three. Um, if you get into like Montana, Wyoming, you're looking at 20 acres per cow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause it's drier. There's not as much water and the ground's different over there. You know, we've got a lot of soil here, topsoil. Um, but the less topsoil you get and the more rocky you get, well, grass isn't going to grow as thick and as tall and whatnot, and you're not going to have as much feed. So that acreage is just to feed that cow. Yeah. Exactly. So if you could, if there was a point to minimize the land needed, it would be through feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you wouldn't be having grass-fed natural. Exactly. That you want. You That's take, a, you would take all that away. Yeah. And then which what, is would, a what would be natural? It wouldn't be. Yeah. It'd be all yeah all grown in a freaking greenhouse and then thrown out to a field. Yeah. That's not natural. Yeah. And you definitely don't want grain. No. No. Steady, steady grain. No, and a lot of guys do grain because, you know, back in the day that was what their dad did. And it was high test results and butter fat and this and that. But the problem is now is you're paying over a $1,000 a ton for that stuff. And you're not getting it back out of the cow for milk production it's not paying for itself yeah or you're just breaking even so what's the point what's the point yeah all it's you're not doing sustainable adding, that way no all you're doing is adding another headache that's it yeah that's it so yeah um i've tried talking to other farmers but you know i'm one of the youngest dairy farmers in humboldt county are you really yeah how old are you 35 oh wow yeah so what i mean I'm the youngest dairy farmer that is 100% on his own. I don't have my father to help me. I don't have a grandfather, nothing like that. So, um, you know, there's other farmers that are a few years younger than me, but they still got their whole family. They still got their, you know, their parents and whatnot to help them with ranching and stuff. So they're not 100% solely on their own. I'm the only one. Yeah. So I get to try out any idea that I want. And that's why I stand out from the rest of my dairy farmers uh, is because I'm completely different. Is that kind of a holdup for them in that, oh, that mentality of this is how it's always been done, so this is how I'm going to do it? There was a saying, seven most expensive words in the dairy ranching life, but I would take this as far as any business. It's always been done this way. When you never change, you never grow. You've got to change, and especially with businesses, you've got to move and grow with society. If you get left back behind and you don't move, you're going to lose it and you're going to sink. So that's where I've changed it. Um, Anywhere from, you know, bottling my own milk to the way I graze my cattle. um, I do what they call strip grazing and back grazing. Everybody strip grazes. 
strip grazing is. So what you do is, you know, springtime, our feed's coming on strong. Like right now, it's just starting to really come on. Um, So, excuse me. So you'll have, say, on my fields, my fields are 10 acres. They're a quarter mile long, 300 feet wide. On 80 cows, they don't need 10 acres that is two and a half feet tall for one day of feeding. Okay. They only need about 200 feet long by 300 feet. So I'll put a strip wire in front of them and I'll let them graze that down. So I let them graze it down and I leave about six to eight inches of grass on top. So they'll chew off the first foot, foot and a half. Right. Okay. Reason being of leaving the six to eight inches on the ground is one, when the wind cuts through, it's not drying the ground out. So I don't have to irrigate as often because the ground is actually staying moisturized because the grass cover on it. Two, when you go too deep, too shallow, or uh, too far down on your grass, it takes that much longer to grow back. So if you leave it at that six to eight inches, it'll grow back that much quicker. So then by the time you get back around, well, heck, that grass might be eight inches taller than the first time you grazed it. And so instead of it taking... 40, 50 days to grow back, it might only take 30 days to grow back because you left that little bit. You might run through them a little bit faster, your fields, but you'll have better quality feed. When it and comes it grows back, back faster. And it grows back faster. Something I do that I don't know any other farmer in this area that does do is back grazing. So cattle weigh 1,300, 1,400 pounds. They have a foot that is three and a half, four inches wide. They pack that ground every time they step. Grass needs oxygen to grow. Needs oxygen and water, okay? If you pack that ground and make it to where that root cannot get oxygen or water, it will not grow. I got told that after a cow passes over the ground three times, it's packed. So what I do is I'll give them that 200 by 300 strip in the morning and every 12 hours they get a new piece of ground. I'll give them that piece and then that night I'll take another strip wire and I'll block off what they ate in the morning and then they get to have a new piece that night and I keep moving behind them. So they only touch each piece one time so it doesn't get packed down and it can grow back just as fast. Say it takes me five days to get through that 10 acre field, that's 10 feedings. By the time I get down to the end, this first piece that they started with has already had five days of growing time to start growing back. And it hasn't been trampled down. And it just makes it that much better and they have that much better quality feed that much quicker. Why don't more farmers adopt that? It's always been done that way. Yeah. Always been done that way and laziness. Because it's more work to go back through and do that. It is. It is. Takes me about 15 minutes to change trip wire, which isn't a lot of time. Mm-mm. But it's a heck of a lot quicker to go and move that one. And not do it. And not do the back grazer. But it saves you. It saves you. It's weird how small, small things like that make all the difference. It is. It's the littlest things that can make a huge difference in the way you operate. It can pay off so much more. Yeah. So much more. That and seeding. You know, I had uh, gotten a grant for... Uh... Sorry about that. My no, stomach's over here. You're fine. My stomach's over here grilling. <laughs> I, uh, I, 
I went a little too hard on my workout this morning and didn't quite eat enough before eat we enough? did the podcast. I should have brought so you a glass of milk. <laughs> I know. So I was over here. That's like the third time it's grown. I was like, holy shit. I guess it's about time to start eating. Uh, so, uh, But seating. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. So I got a grant through NRCS for seating. And they paid me a ton of money to go out and seed whatever I wanted. Well, my dad, a few years before had seeded a field with what was called red clover and bursting. My cows strip grazed through that field for a couple days, and when they did, they jumped 100 gallons in milk. They came out of that field, they dropped that 100 gallons. I said, well, that's a no-brainer. I said, I'm going to plant the whole ranch in red clover and bursting. Okay, no tillage, okay? So a lot of guys, they'll use a no-till drill, they'll use a big tractor with what's called a broadcaster, pretty much like doing your yard with a little push seeder, right? Okay. How it kind of broadcast it. Yeah. We've got ones that go on the back of our tractors with a three point uh, and a PTO and spread it out that way. Okay. Well, I went one step further and I went for less compaction and more efficiency. Okay. So instead of farming up the field, because I didn't have at the time, the management had been so far back that I didn't have the land space to be able to take out one field and reseed it because I needed it for grazing for the cattle. So a guy up in Oregon, he's a seed guy and his name's Jerome. And he told me, he says, Darren, he says, try this. He's a grazier ground to two inches tall. And he says, take it down. He says, and then go take 50 pounds to those fields. And 10 acre fields be five pounds to the acre. He says, just go broadcast it out there. He says, and then take your cows and put them back in there for a day or two. Let them push the seed into the ground. He says, and then pull them off and wait two months. See what happens. I was like, okay. So I tried two fields at it first year. They came back with more clover than I had ever seen. Fields that had spotches of clover in the years past, the whole field was completely clover. It worked out beautifully, and I did it with a side-by-side and a freaking $100 broadcaster that I bought from Tractor Supply. Wow. So a tractor weighs seven, 8,000 pounds. So every time you drive through those fields, you're compacting it, right? And you're burning up, say, quarter tank, half tank of diesel. I went out there, and I broadcasted 180 acres on a tank and a half of fuel of a side-by-side, which is like uh, seven gallons, eight, nine, nine gallons, nine gallons of gas. I did it versus 30 gallons of diesel. And I did it with my broadcaster and the side-by-side. And I didn't compact the ground because side-by-side only weighs like 1,100 pounds. Yeah. And I was able to see the whole ranch. Cost me hardly anything. And in return, I got beautiful fields and... I raised my gallon average per cal from four and a half to five to five and a half to six. Pretty substantial increase. Exactly. Exactly. And with the grant money, it didn't cost me a dime. How often do you have to reseed a a field? Is it just when you let the cows eat it all the way down? So it depends on what you seed. Perennials or annuals. Clovers are perennials. Uh, Rice. Rice. stuff like that uh actually no i'm sorry bursting is a touch and go it sometimes grows 
and then it might take a year off and then it'll come back the following year. But um, like your wheat and your quinoa and that kind of stuff, those are annuals. They only grow once, so you got to reseed them every year. Perennials, you can go, say, your clovers and your alfalfas and your grasses. Um, if you want to keep a good coverage and keep it consistent, every five years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but also, if you feed your cattle good, they shit it back out, your fields will grow good. So clover has little gold seeds, and you'll see it in the cow shit. It's funny. So cows will eat the clover, and then they'll run it through their system, and then they'll shit it out. And if you look in the cow shit, you'll see little gold seeds. That's clover. So they're almost reseeding it for you. Exactly. Exactly. I have taken a place that grew. I just took it over a couple years ago. And when I took it over, it was nothing but weeds. I just threw my heifers on it. But in the wintertime, I feed them my silage, which is my winter feed that I cut off of my ground. And it's all clover, clover and grass. And I feed them that silage. Now, after two years, I'm starting to see clover growing up there. I never planted clover up there. But it's from what I fed the cattle. They shit it all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So in that aspect, it you can go a little bit further than five years. Because you can stretch it out with, with them doing that. With them, yeah, shitting on, yeah. And also we've got a manure pit that I agitate up and make it into a liquid. And then I've got a manure pump and I've got three miles of underground six-inch main line. And we pump that through the sprinklers. It's like a that, fertilizer? Yeah. And it shoots it out onto the fields and so you fertilize them. Damn. Yeah. So that's another way. Yeah. That's a pretty good system. Yeah, it is. It is uh, resourceful. Use everything you got. No That's waste. the farm mentality, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one farmer said. He says, we're a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> That's a good quote, right? I can't ever think of the end of it, but it's a jack of all trades. Or how does it? It's something like a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right? Yes, a, a master everyone one, knows yeah. the first part, and then they leave out the, the second, second part, part where it's like, yeah. oh, but you want to be a jack of all trades because yeah. it's better than knowing one thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it is. And, you know, and, and nowadays, in order to survive, you have to. You got to be diverse. You got to be diverse. And, you know, like I said, just bottling thing is just the beginning of where I want to be. I have so much more of what I want to take over and be able to do. Um, you know, I've even looked at uh, putting in my own butcher site right behind the creamery. I think that would be great. And doing I think that aged, would be a big market. Doing aged ground beef. If no one has done it by the time I do it, I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to. But it's being diverse. You know, when, say, summertime, my milk sales fall. Right. So I'm not going to be able to make as much money off of milk, but excuse me, hamburger goes up because everybody's barbecuing. The hamburger will carry the milk. Wintertime, milk's going to go up. Ice cream's going to go up, but maybe hamburger drops back a little bit. Well, my milk and my ice cream will carry my hamburger. You always get, you're better off with more than one income. When you're relying on one income, it's very hard to have a good life. And that's what I've noticed. Yeah, you don't want your eggs 
all, all in, in one, one basket. basket. No, yep. spread it out. Spread it out. But don't spread out too thin to where you are wasteful in your management. It's like my dad always told me. He says, no one will run your ranch better than you. No one will. And he's God's honest truth because it's my ranch. It's my money, my cattle, and it's my love for it. I could hire you and have you go run my ranch, but you don't know everything about it. And you don't know all the processes and you might be tired that day. You're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Or you might do it half ass, but what do you care? You're still getting paid to me. No, I'm not getting paid, but I want that done correctly. So it's stuff like that. So yeah, better off to have, you know, maybe three things out there as far as bringing in income, but have them to where you can be efficient and manage them correctly. Because a lot of these dairies, they can be big all they want, but they can be very wasteful. I can be small and efficient and make just as much as they are, and they can be twice as big as me. But it's because of my efficiency. Make it small and take care of what you got before you grow. Make sure you can manage what you got. This Long As soon as you get to your full potential of the size that you are at and you're comfortable with it and you still want to grow, then grow a little bit. But don't bite off more than you can chew. And that's what I've done with the creamery. You know, we started out with just, oh, six, seven stores. And we were doing like 80 gallons, 90 gallons a week or something like that, just little by little. And now we're up to 17, 18 stores doing 200 gallons a week but I've just done little by little. Make sure I can handle it. Not stretch yourself too thin. Exactly, exactly. Because that's where you'll fail and that's where you'll get sloppy. And when you're having a product out in the customer's eyes and they're drinking it, that's the last thing you want. And my name's on it. Yeah, quality, especially because your name's on it, quality is everything. Exactly. Because as it, soon as that starts to go, people are going to associate your name with the wrong thing. Exactly. That's and that's not what, you what don't I want. want. Yeah. That's not what I want. And I take pride. You know, excuse me. And being third generation, my name is very well known. And so, yeah, that's the last thing I want is to have it bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so. Okay, well, Darren, man, I had a great time yeah, talking with you. Too. We got to wrap this up because no clearly I got to go get some chow and get back okay. to work. <laughs> no uh, worries. Where can people find you? Where can people find your milk? Uh, so we've got all of Five Murphy's Market. So Cutting, Trinidad, uh, Blue Lake. Uh, you got Westwood and Sunny Bray. And then both Arcata and Eureka Co-ops. Uh, both Eureka Natural Foods and McKinleyville uh, Natural Foods. Um, we've got Fieldbrook Market, Indianola, Myrtle Avenue Market, uh, the Chevron, uh, market just down the road here on Myrtle. We've got them also. And shortly we will be in Safeway of Eureka and McKinleyville. So. Okay, sweet. And yeah. make sure to return the bottles. Oh, and wildberries. And wildberries. And wildberries. Yes, and please return the bottles. Yeah, we need save those. yourself some money. <laughs> yeah, save yourself some money and uh, keep us going. So, okay, yeah. well, man, I'm I'm excited to see what you do with this. It sounds thank like you. you got a you got a plan and you're out there hustling. I'm trying. Yeah, trying to. Yeah. So thank you very much. Yeah, I man, I had, a, it. I had a blast. I really same did. Here, I did. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to get you back on. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. All Thanks, right. guys. Thanks.